0: going to start a new series called Incognito, and it's based upon uh, some of the word that I feel called to bring to the inmates this time around. Uh, It's actually Friday, April 8th, and our first prison event is next Tuesday, and then we have one on Thursday. It's going to be a pretty busy week, so I'm trying to get this one done early and start this series for two reasons. One, to hopefully help you. And uh, But also to kind of clarify things as I go in to teach, you know, what we we do is we play music and we use that as a bridge and and then we share the gospel and a word of instruction. So really feel led. We say that we are called to entertain, edify, and evangelize. And so this is part of the edification part um, that we're going to try to, you know, just really convince the believers in prison or remind them of who they are in Christ. So the idea of incognito is that the world may look at those inmates and say, well, you're an inmate. Well, you're a felon. Um, you know, they look at their clothes, look at what they've done. And while that may be true, if they are Christians, ultimately their identity is something completely different. I'm going to tell them that they are the generals on the ground. Um, if anything's going to happen, Uh, To forward the kingdom of God on that prison compound, it's going to be because the believers have come together and they've prayed together and uh, they've been obedient to the word right where they are. And I know I've shared this illustration before, but it's one that really impacted my life and still does for that matter, uh, back when I was a police detective and really struggling with, you know, what God was calling me to do. I, 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 you know, I, I had a great job. Um, but I really felt called to ministry, and and I, I started to kind of despise going to work. Um, once I got there, I, I, I enjoyed it. I did it well, but I really wanted to, you know, reach people before they ended up in a body bag, and I was working in forensics and, and seeing that quite often. And so frustrated as I was, almost ready to just quit, um, uh, the principal of Gloucester High School, the new principal, showed up. And he got in the pulpit to greet us on a Sunday morning in church, and he said, Hi, my name is Chip Gray. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ, cleverly disguised as the principal of Gloucester High School. And man, did that impact me, because suddenly I realized, hey, I'm not a police detective. I'm not a forensic investigator. Ultimately, I'm a missionary to the streets of Norfolk, Virginia, cleverly disguised as a uh, forensic detective. (laughs) And so... <clears throat> excuse me, uh, when I began to approach life that way, man, my job took on a whole new meaning. I had opportunities to pray with people on the job, lead people to Christ on the job. That was the really the, the. I mean, don't get me wrong. I still had to do a good job at my job or else my testimony um, wouldn't have any weight. And so I, I, I tried to do that, but I also looked for opportunities to share the gospel on the street. And so I know I've shared that before if you listen to me in any length of time, but it really was a turning point. And soon after that, when my attitude changed, God began to open new doors. Now, here's where I'll start with this proposition that we cannot do all God has prepared us for us to do. You know, I love that scripture, Ephesians 2.10, we are God's workmanship or God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. We can't do those good works until we understand who we are in Christ. We will all wrestle with self-defeating thoughts of inadequacy that keep us from shipping our art. If you don't understand that term, listen to the series Risk of Art. In other words, God has given us all the ability to take the created things and put them together in new ways, new expressions, and get them out to the world to make a difference. But we will wrestle with self-defeating thoughts that keep us from, from doing that. If we don't understand who we are, we'll put labels on ourselves. You know, I could say, well, man, I'm a Three-time loser at high school, like I kicked out of three high schools. I'm the son of a convicted felon and an inmate. I come from the wrong side of the track, and all these self-defeating thoughts of inadequacy are, are going to attack me and keep me from being and doing all God wants me to do. So I have to look at who God says I am. I I hate to admit it, and I ask you, please don't burn me at the stake if you're if you're one of those holy roly people to get bent out of shape by something like this. But uh, I watched uh, maybe two, two and a half of the Harry Potter movies, you know, many years later after they'd come out. They were on Netflix or something. I thought, well, you know, these movies are huge. I don't know that much about them. And uh, as it turns out, as I understand it, uh, J.K. Rowling is a professing Christian who uh, is a part of an Anglican church. Don't, don't hold me to that. You can look it up. I, I thought I read that, but nevertheless, and even says that some of the, you know, just like Lord of the Rings and those things that there were things that were, you know, kind of, a, and not analogy, there's another word, but, you know, allegory or something. There, there's some Christian concepts in, in those movies. So anyway, I was watching them and the first one, I didn't understand the premise of the story, but if you've never watched them, I don't, you don't necessarily have to they're kind of childish sci-fi whatever um and they do have witchcraft and all that um but so does lord of the rings for that matter um harry potter uh is adopted by i think his uncle and aunt who treat him like garbage you know he's he lives under the stairs and he's you know they've got another child they treat like gold and harry is treated as this you know just less than and uh and just treated badly, you know, fed the worst food, given the worst chores, all that stuff until one day, um, I, I think it's some owls or something. They try to deliver the message, um, that he's being called to Hogwarts, you know, this wizard school. And, and what Harry doesn't know is that he's actually, his parents who were killed were actually, you know, these great, you know, wizards or whatever. And, uh, and that Harry has a, basically a call on his life that Harry is like the chosen one, and he doesn't realize it. And I guess later he goes on to become the hero uh, of those movies, but he didn't know it. And so many people don't realize who they are in Christ, that they are far more than uh, than what their worldly resume looks like. And so I, I'll be you know, talking to inmates about this who you talk about people struggling with self-defeating thoughts, having a hard time forgiving themselves and labels. Uh, Man, but we all struggle with that kind of stuff. So I've been doing a study on first uh, in first Peter, where Peter is writing to basically Christian Jews that have been dispersed and they're living outside of Palestine among the Greeks. That's who he's writing to in first Peter. And one of my favorite scriptures in, in the Bible uh, that gives us some idea of who we are. And there's a lot in the Bible that tells us who we are in Christ. But this is one of my favorites in First Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful life. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We are a chosen people. If you have believed on Jesus and made him Lord, it's because God chose you. It says in John 6:44 and 45, Jesus said, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them And I will raise them up at the last day. He went on to say, "This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them." He causes us to be born of born again. Um, Verse three of uh, says, "Blessed be the God and of First Peter chapter one. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy." has called us to be born again. And that word born again, those words mean to be regenerated. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We are regenerated. We are changed. We are transformed uh, by the saving grace and, and our faith in Jesus. But we can't have that faith unless God calls us and chooses us. And and I believe he calls us all. Um, but, you know, it's you know, sometimes um, people say that we're all children of God. Well, that's absolutely not true. We're all uh, created by God, okay? But we are not all children of God. As a matter of fact, without Christ... We are enemies of God. We're called trespassers of God. Um, We're we're devout. There are wicked people in this world, plain and simple. They are are more children of the devil, the Bible calls them. You know, in John chapter 1, verse 12, Jesus said, and 13, Jesus said this, Yet to all who did receive him to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. So we're, we're not children of God, according to the word, until we place our faith, until we receive Jesus, until we believe in his name, then we gain the right to, Be children of God, but if God has called us, if He's chosen us, and you know it, and you've believed on His name, then you are a child of God. You have been born again, you've been transformed, changed, regenerated. And you know, I, I have this friend I haven't talked to in a decade or more, I see him on Facebook once in a while. I went through the police academy with him in uh, 2000. And when I went back into law enforcement, uh, the Virginia Beach Police Academy, it was a very, very challenging police academy. And uh, we got into a competition for the um, high score, the high academic score for the six month academy. And uh, he... He had graduated with um, double double majors from Old Dominion. Uh, this guy was his, in every break that we took, and during lunch, his nose was in a book. A really intellectual guy, I should say. Uh, he's gone on, I think he has a Ph.D. now, and he's you know, works some government job. He's a really smart guy. And, uh, but I, when I beat him for the, he, he came in second, I came in first and got the little plaque and everything for the high academic score of that academy. Uh, yeah, granted I had an edge, I'd been a cop before. Um, so I'm not boasting in that, but the fact is that it, it, it kind of humbled him a little bit, or at least I gained a little bit of respect uh, in his eyes because he knew that i was a christian that i had been a youth pastor and so one time we were at lunch long after i, I think he had left the virginia Beach police department i had left the police department and uh, we got together for lunch and during that chat i you know, i tried to get into big debates you know just be his friend and be led of the holy spirit in the moment and uh and eventually it came to that, and I explained to him how I'd changed, how God had, you know, I'd, I, you know, been this lawless little drug punk, and God transformed me, you know. And and he said, yeah, I, I believe all that happened, but I believe you did that. Now, it was after he walked away, I really felt bad because I never got a chance, and I haven't felt led to share this with him. But, you know, one day, I it mean, it's amazing, like every now and then he'll like a life on the Verge post. You know, so he does pay attention and seeds are getting planted in his, in his heart, I hope. Um, but the thing I wanted to say to him is, you know, yeah, I guess I, I, I did do that stuff, but something caused me to want to change. I was happy in my sin. I tell inmates all the time that if you are not having fun with sin, you are not doing it right. Because sin is fun. It is a pleasure for a season, the Bible says. Then the trap closes down and we realize, you know, where we've been led into destruction. And uh, so at 19 years old, something caused me to want to change, to leave this life that I was thoroughly entrenched in. And that was the Holy Spirit drawing me, God choosing me, and then he caused me to be born again. Uh, It goes on to say in verse three of first Peter, praise be to the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We are born again into a living hope. We are people of hope. God chooses us to be people of hope. No matter how bad things get in our lives, the tragedies that are bound to happen to all of us at some point in life, we have a hope that goes deeper. A hope, in Peter says, into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. We know this life has an expiration date. We are looking forward to to that city. We are looking forward to heaven, to eternity. That word hope means, in the Greek, it's elpis. It means expectation, trust, and confidence. We know there is more, and God causes us. He chooses us to believe that, to know that in our heart of hearts, that we can be justified by faith, and, and we can be given insight and ability to trust in Jesus now that we're justified you know when we are born again when we believe on the name of Jesus our sins have been forgiven and we be we've been made right before God by faith but we still struggle with sin and that's where we uh, introduce those self-defeating thoughts because we're and you know even Paul later in life talked about sin has become exceedingly sinful Because the longer that we walk with Jesus, then when we fail, oh, we kick ourselves so hard because we're still struggling with this old sin. We figure we ought to be over this thing. Well, we're justified. We need to understand that nothing changes the fact that you've been chosen by God. You're born again. You're a friend of God. Jesus says he's our brother. God is our father. We're part of the family. We're engrafted in. Nothing's going to change that, okay? Okay. But the process of sanctification, that's another big old biblical word, okay? It took me a while to understand the, the terms justification and sanctification. We are justified by faith in Christ, but sanctification instantaneously when we believe on Jesus, we're born again. I can name the day, not everybody can, but I can name the day, that November 23rd, 1982, that I surrendered to Christ and I was justified. Now, now... That's when I was convinced in my mind. I can remember praying when I was 12 years old at an altar with a youth pastor to receive Christ. And listen, I, even though I was living a life of full throttle sin, um, you know, and even even playing around with demonic things, I I still. I still prayed. I still went to sleep asking God to forgive me of my sins. So perhaps I was already born again and justified when I was 12 years old, but still just giving in to sin. I'm, I'm not sure, but I know that when we believe on Jesus, when we place our trust in him, first off, we need to understand that the faith to do that comes from God choosing us to believe that. I don't understand, I'm not going to get into the whole predestination thing, but if you believe on Jesus, you do need to understand that God predestined that you would believe and he chose you to believe on Jesus and he justified you when you believed and you became part of the family of God. But sanctification, that process of being set apart, of being made more and more like Jesus uh, comes as a process, as we submit and obey to his word and the leading of the Holy Spirit. Sanctification comes from two Latin words, sanctus, which means holy, and "ficere," which means make. So to sanctify means to be made holy or to make holy. So we, we still struggle with sin, okay, even the apostle Paul struggled with sin, um, it, Romans 8, 1, everybody knows, and I've talked about this before, too. Therefore, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Well, we we know that scripture, but when we see a therefore, we got to say, what's the therefore? If we back up to Romans 7, the verses before he said that, which was all one continuous letter, right? Um, we later put chapters and verses so that we could find things, but it was one letter. And right before he said, there's no condemnation, he admitted his own struggle with sin. He talked about, I do the things I know I shouldn't do, and I don't do the things I know I should do. You know, what a wretched man I am. Who's going to say Save me, and he points to Jesus. You see, Paul was still being sanctified. We're going to struggle with sin, plain and simple. We have trained our bodies and our minds in sinful ways. We have habits and hang ups that we fight with. And so we got to constantly remind ourselves look, I'm chosen of God, I'm born again. I have a hope that if I confess my sins, He's faithful and just to forgive them plain and simple, and I'm going to continually submit myself to God and allow him to sanctify me. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, Paul talks about being sanctified body, soul, and spirit. Our spirit is justified, is saved, but our body and our mind is constantly being sanctified as we submit ourselves to God and obey God. His word. Two items of evidence that you've been chosen of God. I'm going to talk to the inmates about this. Well, first, the word says those, plain and simple, okay? Um, We've got to believe what God's word says over our feelings. And that can become especially difficult when we're dealing with thoughts of defeat and inadequacy because we're struggling with sin or, you know, we've, you know, we've committed something that we feel is unforgivable, especially for the inmates, you know, um, that's true. We've got to say, look, I am who, who the word says I am. So that's a pretty simple one. But the second one, because the Holy spirit in you convinces you to obey God. That's the other evidence that the Holy spirit convinces. Now I shy away from using the word convict because there's one place where Jesus said that the Holy spirit will convict the world of sin I sometimes use the word convict because it's, you know, it's like, I mean, convict means to be found guilty and we're not guilty. We've been found not guilty through Jesus. Okay. So I'm going to use the word convinced, but you understand what I mean is that the Holy Spirit Causes us to feel unease Colossians 3 15 Talked about this before too Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts That word rule being the word The Greek word umpire And so the Holy Spirit kind of Blows the whistle when we step out of bounds When we break a rule lets us know um, This is not the best Way Jesus said take His yoke you know I use The illustration sometimes that Jesus Yoke is easy so the Holy Spirit gently pulls us where the enemy puts a yoke on people and drags them through hell, okay? God puts his yoke on us and he says, look, you can go your own way, but I'm, I'm letting you know, look, go this way. Don't be stiff-necked. Go this way. And so that's an evidence that the Holy Spirit is in us when we sense that. Um, how does the Holy Spirit convince us to do things God's way, to be holy, Make no mistake, we're called to be holy. It actually, if you read the rest of the first Peter chapter one in verse 14 and 16, Peter says, as obedient children do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do for it is written, be holy because I am holy. You know, a lot of people give up on God because they can't be perfect newsflash you can't be perfect in other words they they may come to the altar they may receive christ and say the prayer and then they walk out the door and they fail and they give up they don't understand the difference between justification and sanctification that you are you are made holy before god when you believe on jesus that he like the prodigal son you know he puts that robe of righteousness around us And he no longer sees the dirt and the mud from the the pigsty that we've been climbing through, okay? He puts a ring on our finger and identifies us as his. He puts shoes on our feet to take away the sting of the foolish things that we've done. The prodigal son's a great illustration of that. Um, They don't understand that that's happened the moment that you believed, but the the process of sanctification is is a is a struggle at times to obey to conform to god's way of doing things for your own good so that you can accomplish the things that god prepared in advance for you to do now, i've seen people fall from really lofty places you know a, as pastors or you know maybe they were in business and they believed on Jesus but they did not obey and look it could happen to me man I, it, you know that's why it says we're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling man I look at I'm, I'm like wow so many times I could have you know just fallen so hard but God protected me and I don't want to Think of that in a prideful way. Oh, I obeyed God, so therefore I'm good. No, I'm. It it, it scares me to know um, what I'm capable of without God's protection, without His leading, without His instruction. And so I want to submit to that every day, knowing that even if I, you know, crash and burn from a high and lofty place and become the ridicule of those around me, you know, I once knew a lawyer um, who was a big giver in the church and undoubtedly a believer in Jesus, but he got off on the wrong track and he swindled a bunch of people out of a lot of money. And he went to federal prison for 15 years and, and, you know, he knew what he did and, and he confessed it. And, you know, I, I kind of ministered to him, uh, via the federal email prison email system, sent him some resources and things. He was part of a small group I was in and, uh, you know, that's the kind of the penalty, I guess, for not allowing God to sanctify us. It's when we give the devil a a, a a foothold and then that foothold becomes a stronghold and we just go further and further down. And so it's important that we realize that God wants us to be holy for our own good. How do we become holy? Holy. Well, I believe that we become holy. We get sanctified, obviously, through reading the word, but through the preaching of the word. It is vital that we put ourselves under the preaching of the word. And by that, I mean that you attend a church, you listen to preaching that preaches the whole counsel of God, not just, you know, we. I believe the church world got off on a really bad path uh, in my lifetime, maybe 20 years or so ago, um, where it became all about what God can do for us and prosperity. And it wasn't what was being preached. I believe God wants us to prosper, okay? It wasn't necessarily all the things that were being preached by some of the major speakers out there, it was what was being left out. They were shying away from kind of the hard parts of scripture that tell us how we are to live. You know, regardless of what this world around us is saying, this is what the word of God says for our own good. So putting ourselves under the preaching of the word. Uh, it, it, how the, you know, I remember one time I had a grudge against someone, actually a family member. And, uh, Man, I was, I was mad. I was not going to speak to them ever again. I, I was just, I was so mad at something that they had done. And, uh, you know, I made up my mind. I was just going to cut them off. And I went to a church service, and I don't even remember what was being preached. But obviously something in that sermon uh, convinced me, let it go, let it go. I had to, I, you know, and so I, I eventually encountered that family member, and they knew that I was angry over what had happened. And they thought that, you know, I'd cast them away. And they were, I didn't know that they were hurt by it at the time, but they were. And I embraced them, and I said, I love you, regardless um, of, you know, I, regardless of anything. I love you. And, uh, man, we've had a wonderful relationship since. That was because of, put. that was God sanctifying me in that moment, you know, saying, look, I forgave you. You've got to forgive. Uh, Preaching and teaching not only causes us to repent of sin, but also leads us in the way of wisdom and instruction for a blessed life. Now, let me back up again and say, there was a season where I, I've shared this maybe in a podcast, but definitely in sermons. I've talked about when I had really fallen away from God's, I got out from under the preaching of the word. I got out of church life in my twenties and I found myself really just getting sloshed on a regular, I mean, yeah, just a mess. Okay. Thinking that I could never get right with God again. Finally, I made up my mind. I was going to start going to church again and, uh, I was going to take my, my three-year-old daughter. Uh, that was my reason for going. And I answered an altar call for salvation. I went down the front. I prayed. I got the, they gave me a New Testament. And I went out the next week and just stumbled all over the place. But I went back the next Sunday and I answered the altar call again. And they tried to give me a Bible. I said, I got one last week, you know. And uh, that actually went on for a period of months. I, I think I answered the altar call three or four times. Um I just kept going, regardless of what this flesh was doing and how I was failing and stumbling and messing up. And little by little, God drew me in to the works He prepared in advance for me to do. And and uh, suddenly, I, it wasn't until years later that I sensed the Holy Spirit speak to my heart one day. I was already in ministry full time, and I felt like the Holy Spirit said, you know, way back there where you thought I let go of you? I never let go of you. You let go of me. And uh, so we need to be under the preaching of the word. But that's not to say that that preachers are perfect. That's why the it says that the Bereans were of more noble character because they searched the scriptures daily to see if what Paul said was true. So no preacher's got a handle on 100% truth, everything, their opinion, their take on every scripture is completely right. Some people use that as an excuse. As a matter of fact, uh, you know, you know, there are preachers that preach the word and then they fall in the public eye to adultery or something like that. That doesn't negate their preaching if they're preaching the word of God, but preachers can make mistakes. And maybe God wants to teach you something the preacher didn't say. So we need to be like the Bereans. We need to take notes in sermons, and we need to study those notes, and uh, and and then don't become an enemy of the preacher. Okay, um, it's okay to differ. We're not going to agree a hundred percent. Even even Peter and Paul, you know, had it out in the in the scriptures. You read the book of Acts. You know, uh, Paul and Barnabas had it out. You know, there's always going to be you know, conflict about certain interpretations of certain scriptures. Love should be the rule. I'm going all over the place, I know, but I'm kind of going on a deep dive myself. So we're chosen people and we're chosen To be holy, to be children of God. Why are we chosen? Well, the end of that scripture says that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. How do we declare his praises? We're chosen to declare his praises. I believe we do that in word and in deed. If this becomes the underlying motive behind your vocational efforts, your art, okay, your contribution to society, I believe it's destined to be blessed. That, that that I know I'm chosen, and therefore I am going to take the created things and put them together in new ways. And my, That's what we refer to as our art, uh, new ways of doing things in whatever your vocational efforts are, um, that the ultimate goal is that maybe somebody will take notice of my faith. I'm going to do it as unto the Lord. We cannot do all that God prepared for us to do until we understand who we are in Christ Jesus. We will wrestle with self-defeating thoughts of inadequacy that keep us from shipping our I hope you got something out of that I look forward to being back with you next week Please pray for us that things come together April 12th and 14th we be at two different prisons And we're bringing some new friends along from Nashville And pray that everything comes together And that God does some things uh, in our events Amen Sometimes fallen angels fly. Sometimes I want to remind you that we're a completely donor funded ministry. You can learn more about Life on the Verge at lifeontheverge.com. You can hear more of our music at theplunders.com or on any streaming service.